First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, sermon text for the day is verses three through four. Hear the word of the Lord. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So may the, uh, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Um, and I want, us to, I want us to go back in time for a little bit, okay? So it's September the 10th, 2006. A few of you, maybe none of you know what the significance of that date is, but that was the first of eight interest meetings that uh, Jordan, Brian, uh, and myself uh, provided for anybody who might be interested in a new church in this area. So we had eight interest meetings uh, from September to October, and I was able to track down some attendance records and, and look, and over the course of those eight weeks, we had more than 200 people who came at, at some point, and we successfully uh, drove away about 70 to 80 percent um, of those who expressed <clears throat> um, an, an interest in uh, what the Lord was doing. And we took these eight weeks to lay out a vision for a biblical church in Uptown. So that's September, eight weeks or ninth week later, November the 5th, 2006, was our first Sunday gathering. It was an opportunity for us to gather together uh, to preach and to teach. And then a few months later, February the 18th, 2007, we welcomed our first members uh, into, into membership. I think it was 18 on that day. So 18 plus uh, the six of us, there were 24. And uh, amazingly enough, around half of these um, are still presently members today. So these eight interest meetings took on different form and variety. And, and uh, if, if you've recently gone through our Foundations of Grace, that, that's what it uh, became. It became the Foundations of Grace. So rather than that eight meetings like that, thanks be to God, we don't do that to you anymore. Uh, it, was, it went to a Friday night and a Saturday morning. It's also taken a different form as well of Sunday mornings that we've had, and even more recently, two Sunday afternoons. And uh, it's, it's been our effort um, to really just hold out what we believe the Bible says is a biblical church. So what we're doing here is for this Sunday and for the next three weeks is a sermon series entitled Bought with His Blood. And what we want to do over the next several weeks is we want to show from the Bible the glory of God in redeeming a people for himself through the finished work of Christ and how this redeemed blood-bought group of people should function and live. That's what we're going after for the next four weeks. So the outline is two part. The first is the gospel according to the scriptures. And the second part is the gospel and the church. So the gospel according to the scriptures. I, wanna, uh, I want us to look a bit more closely at why Christ's bloody cross death and his risen exalted state 
is necessary and foundational to our understanding of the gospel. Then we want to seek to connect this necessity to the church. And why understanding the gospel according to the scriptures is more important than anything else that a church can do or be mastered by. God is not requiring us to be experts at anything. He is. I mean, he's he's not requiring us to be good at marketing. He's not requiring us to be good at public relations. But as a church, we do have a responsibility with the gospel. As a church, we will be passing along what we believe to be of most importance. So big picture here. Big picture, what does the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what's that mean? Well, that it, it includes, it involves that the Father's glorified, that his wrath toward us sinners is satisfied, that the guilt our, that our sin incurred uh, has been removed, that he is the one who makes peace with us, that he is the one who conquers Satan through the resurrection. He's given us a new identity. He's given us a new family. He's given us uh, eternal joy. We have an undefiled and undiluted inheritance, and we are given eternal life in order to spend all eternity with him. That's, that's big picture for what the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ mean. Microscopic picture, okay? Or in other words, what do the scriptures say concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? What are the scriptures that are referenced here? Let's look at two instances where Christ himself speaks of his death, burial, and resurrection. The first is going to be in advance of the cross. Luke chapter 18. Now he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all the things that will, uh, that have been written through the prophets about the son of man will be accomplished for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be ridiculed and abused and spit upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise. The disciples understood none of this. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. So this is Jesus sharing with them in advance of the cross how he would be ridiculed, suffer, die, three days later, rise again. The second instance is post-resurrection and pre-ascension. Luke chapter 24 Verses 25 through 27, verses that are very well trodden here at grace. And Jesus said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. This is when Jesus had revealed himself. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Then catch this. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. He was telling them, reminding them that it was necessary. Remember what I told you? It was necessary for me to suffer and to enter into glory. And then this Jesus, this Christ, 
using the scriptures, explained to them how the scriptures were about him. What a sermon. Christ was born. He lived a sinless life. He died. He, he was buried. He was raised. He appeared. He ascended. Now intercedes and will one day return. All of this, this glorious gospel, we understand this from the scriptures. So that's what I want to do for us in the next few minutes is to show from the word the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So when was the death of Christ for sinners decided? It was foreordained by God. Acts chapter 2, that'll be one of several verses that we could go to. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. The death of Christ foreordained within the triune Godhead. Well, why, why Christ? Why the Messiah? Why not another means of salvation? Again, this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Remember the, the phrase that we're looking at here according to the scriptures. Genesis chapter 3 the sin of Adam and Eve and the curse that was incurred as a result of that, of that sin. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So we see the prophecy of Christ here in Genesis, the third chapter of the Bible. This was fulfilled in the New Testament. John chapter one, when John the Baptist, the forerunner, humanly making way for the Lord said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing to Jesus. So Old Testament prophecy, New Testament fulfillment. Well, why a cross? It was the means of Christ's death. The Psalm 22, the messianic psalm that shared that it would be Christ who would hang on the tree. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. So the Old Testament spoke of the cross of Christ. Well, why blood? Why was it he had to shed his blood? First Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the lamb, or, or excuse me, the blood of Christ. Romans 5, 8 and 9, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood. So this is what's involved in the gospel. This is, this is how the scriptures explain the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul is not just standing before this church and preaching to them something contrary than what the 
scriptures have already been explaining. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection delivered us from the curse of the law. That's Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Delivered us from the ceremonial law, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. And Christ's work delivered us from the law of works, Galatians chapter 3, verse 25 through 26. It was, the, the law was given as our tutor, our schoolmaster, to lead us to Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection also removed the guilt that we incurred as a result of our sinfulness. Romans 8.1. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We see that the scripture lays out various terms that are related to his atonement. He died as our sacrifice, Hebrews 9. He died as our representative, Romans 5.12 through 14. Christ died as the propitiation for our sins, meaning his finished work satisfied all of God's wrath towards us. It removed it and replaced it with love from God. Hebrews 2. Christ stood in our place and bore the penalty when he died. Christ died as our substitutionary atonement. Hebrews chapter 10. He redi- Christ died as our redemption. Mark chapter 10 verse 45. So a number of, number of passages, the, the scriptures are clear on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They even show Christ's death in his active obedience, his obedience for us, how he fulfilled all of the law and its demands upon our behalf. It speaks of Christ's passive obedience, his suffering to satisfy God's wrath toward us. It was the suffering that he incurred on the death on the cross that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53 that Galatians chapter three uh, referenced uh, and fulfilled as well. It was suffering as a result of him being forsaken by God. So Christ's active and passive obedience. Is he still dead? Luke 24, he's not here, he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee? So the resurrection of Christ demonstrates his power and authority over the law, sin, death, and life. So in a very simplistic way, the cross and resurrection reflect death to sin and life in Christ. Now that's a very punctuated doctrine of Christ, very punctuated doctrine of Christ. But I didn't want to start talking about its benefits for the church without sharing in a brief way how clear the scriptures make it concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So our second point, the gospel and church. The church is one foundation and one distinct message. Paul earlier in this same letter, chapter three, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another one is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it. So Paul very clearly to this church is saying, you've gotta be careful. You gotta be careful the foundation 
that you're building upon. For no one can lay a foundation other than the foundation that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he tells them, if anyone, if anyone builds a foundation with gold, hey, all this other stuff, it is, it's going to be burned. It's not going to last. The, the church has one foundation. The church has one distinct message. That, that has to be clear. The church is the only, Dever and Alexander said, the church is the only institution entrusted by God with the message of uh, repentance of sins and belief in Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Every church has to make a decision what she is going to prioritize. This is nearly always communicated in the vision of the church. And if you want to see what a church really believes, pay attention to what they say. Pay attention to what they do. Like we, we realize this, to go back to September, uh, we realized this in the, in the very, uh, the second meeting that we had. It was our intention that we were, gonna, uh, we were gonna permit people to pursue membership at the conclusion of the eighth interest meeting. Week two, we realized, well, that's not wise. Like, we haven't given them an opportunity to really see how this is going to be fleshed out. I mean, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like somebody coming up to you, uh, never met them before, and they, they tell you all of the ways that they're gonna be a faithful spouse. And then after they tell you the ways they're gonna be a faithful spouse, they pop the question and say, let's get married. I, we probably ought to get to know one another a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged. That, that's, a good, that's a good foundation that you've got there. It's good thoughts about being a faithful spouse. But I don't know you. That's, that's kind of what it felt. And we wanted, to give, uh, we wanted to give people the opportunity to see like, is this, is this church all about what they say on paper? Or are they going to seek to be faithful to the Bible? So let me ask you a question. What does Grace Church prioritize? What do you think we prioritize? Is, is our highest priority our music production? Is it Grace Kids? Or is it the way in which we structure, format our small groups? Do we put highest emphasis on our evangelistic strategies? Will the church be a, will Grace Church be a, a colossal failure if we don't have a watertight approach to whatever social concern is prevalent in that season? There is a sense in which all of these things could be a failure. And would we be moderately okay with that? But, we, but what we cannot fail on is an accurate understanding of the gospel. And as a church, we cannot fail or neglect to preach the gospel according to the scriptures. Hey, every matter I just mentioned, music, small groups, kids, social concern, all of those are, they're, they're important. We do care about those matters. And our belief and love for the gospel should permeate and inform everything that we think and do with music, small groups, grace kids, and social concern. But you know those things, the structures and all of that, can, they, can, they can shift. We, we, right now, for, to give an example, our small groups are member only. I mean, 
I understand if, if, you, if that's the first time you're hearing it, you just think, that's just, that's odd. I, I, I agree with you, it is odd. It's, it is different. But we're not married to that structure. It could be next year that we, that we change that. So these things, we're, we're not putting all of our hope and our emphasis in the way that we've lined things out. Our hope and our emphasis is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So that's, that's the question for us as a church. But let me, let me ask you as a member, what do you prioritize? What are you captivated by? Can I implore you in this moment to recommit to the preeminence of Christ on the throne of your heart? Don't drag this church away by being preoccupied with anything other than Christ. Embracing the gospel as the first importance will mean, okay? It's going to mean, it will influence the way that you see others. Is, if Christ is supreme in your inner man, it will inform how you think about other people. Embracing the gospel as of first importance will mean seeing other people through the filter as a person for whom Christ died rather than their various viewpoints on things in life. Romans 14, they were admonished not to, destroy for the pers- not to destroy the person for whom Christ died with their choice of food. Now let that sink in. Don't you let, don't, don't you let, don't you, don't you let that destroy the person for whom Christ died by what you choose to eat or not eat. Consider these passages in relationship to the gospel and the church, Isaiah 55, so it is the word that proceeds out of the Lord's mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what he desires and achieve the purpose for which it, will, it, for which it is sent. God's word is going to accomplish God's desire. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, First Peter 1, you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. And then this quotation from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. It's the word of God in relationship to the church. Now consider these passages in relationship uh, to the gospel's priority in the church. Paul said in Colossians 1, he's a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages, but now revealed to the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, teaching and admonishing every man with all wisdom in order to present every man complete in Christ. For this I toil, working with his energy, powerfully working within me. Paul understood. God set him apart to make the word of God fully known 
to the church. And the church's responsibility to ensure that every one of her members is presented complete in Christ. So that's how the gospel brings us and forms us together and how the gospel is used in the life of the church. His responsibility was to make the word of God known. Ephesians 6, another passage where he implored the saints there at Ephesus to pray for him that words may be given to him in the opening of his mouth to boldly proclaim the gospel and to make it clear. To go back to Colossians, the last chapter there, where Paul says, pray that God would open up a door for us to make the word of God known, to make the gospel known. That's how we pray. That's how we live. That's how we operate. That's how we function as a church family is to make the gospel known and to see each other as being complete in Christ. Stephen Sharnick in his book, Christ Crucified, said Paul was so much taken with Christ that nothing sweeter than Jesus could drop from his lips and pen. The gospel is the common denominator to any evangelistic strategy or approach employed by the church. The gospel is what we have in common. I mean, consider this. We're loved by the same Father. We're bought by the same Son. We're procured by the same Spirit. We are given the same inheritance. We're redeemed with the same blood. We're saved by the same Savior. We're welcomed to the same family. We're united together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we have in common. Every, every healthy church is zealous to hand down to the next generation what they believe to be of utmost importance. We've shared here with guys here at the church that have, that are, that have and are praying about being sent out. We have, we've told them there is zero pressure at all to do any of the same things that we, that we do. But we will not bless any ministry effort that you're involved with if you're not faithful to the gospel and committed to the centrality of gospel in the church. We won't, we won't bless that. So one clear way a church reflects its prioritization on the gospel is in the way that it receives people as members. So here at Grace, we, it's a three-part process, introduce, acquaint, covenant. So introduce what you, what, what's involved in the introduction or is there's a form that we've put together where we ask a number of questions um, and, and hopes to try to get to know you. Then uh, there's the, the next step, which would be acquaint. And what's involved with that are two classes. There's starting point. It's a, it's a gospel class, gospel Bible study. And then the second one is the foundations of, uh, foundations of grace. And so what we hope happens during this stage of, of, of becoming more familiar with one another is we're thankful for the opportunities when somebody turns in this member introduction form because for us, that lets us know they're really serious about pursuing membership here. And that is a colossal responsibility that, that anybody would invite our care into your soul. And then 
the last part would be join. If there's evidence of faith in Christ and there's baptism post uh, conversion, then we recommend people for membership and then they stand before our body and our body, body publicly affirms the Lord's will for their membership into grace. But part of this process involves us asking a person to explain the gospel. We don't only do that with people here who are pursuing membership. We, we make it a practice of other pastors that we get, to, we get to meet. We ask them. Some give very encouraging answers to that. Others, um, not so much. And that's, like, I don't say that to make fun. I, I say that with a, with a broken heart that, that there are pastors who are standing before the people like I'm doing so right now. And they, they cannot give a biblical defense of the gospel is damning. The reason we do this with members is we want, to, we want them to have the opportunity to give us their understanding of the gospel because this question has its root and foundation in what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 15. He's, he's delivered of, as, a, as a matter of first importance the two matters that are connected here, one is that the gospel is the most important subject. And second, that every person's understanding of the gospel must be rooted in the Bible. And so if we ask a person to share with us their understanding of the gospel, and if they can't share their understanding of the gospel, then that gives rise at least to say they may or may not be in Christ. We don't need to press forward with membership, we need to spend more time together working through what the Bible has to say about this glorious salvation that we have in Christ. But this isn't the only instance where Paul highlights the necessity and importance of the gospel. Earlier in the letter, um, he reminded the Corinthians that he determined to know nothing among them except Christ and him crucified. What came from his lips guided his relationships were Christ a crucified and risen Christ, which is to say there is no other way to understand death and life than the cross and resurrection. And not to just be aware that Jesus died and rose again, but to have his death and resurrection applied to our life. The mantra of the church is dying to sin, self and pride, and enjoying life in Christ. So what are some benchmarks we should look for in our health as a church? One of them would be this. Are we faithful in teaching and preaching the gospel? Let's start there. Are, are we faithful in doing that? Is it, does our, does our gospel sound exactly like the Bible describes it? Are we growing deeper in our understanding and do our lives reflect in worship greater apprehensions of God's saving work in Christ? Is there any rival on the throne of our hearts? Are there any rivals in the message and ministry of the gospel within this church? As a church, are we reminding each other of the gospel? It's worth repeating. There were no shortage of serious issues plaguing the growth of the Corinthian church. They had divisions over teachers, tolerating incest, lawsuits, turning a blind eye towards sexual immorality, marriage and singleness problems, food, all other matters. 
guess what? We have our own issues here. But this, this word remember is a theme that is thread throughout the Scripture. Remember. Remember Christ's work. Our, our foundation for one another is to remind each other Christ's work on the cross and in the resurrection. Sin must be crucified to enjoy life in the beloved. Are we sharing the gospel with others? This is another benchmark as well. Are we merely content with friendships? Or do you want to have brothers and sisters in Christ? Think about that. Are you just satisfied with good acquaintances? Or do you want brothers and sisters in Christ? Here's a clear-cut way to know if we're drifting away from what's most important. When anything becomes more important than the gospel, whether it's an issue or whether it's a ministry effort. So as I conclude, the gospel is our motivation underneath every labor to see one another complete in Christ, to see Christ being formed into one another, to see each other strengthened in our inner man, to encourage one another to not forsake the assembling and to help each other remain steadfast and not shift or drift away from the gospel. So let me be clear, there has a lot has changed since September the 10th, 2006. Today is probably one of our better illustrations with the new structure that we, that we have. There's new times that we employ, new structure, new faces, members who've left, others members, other members that we welcome in. There have been adjustments to the approach that we have made to every ministry that's going to change going in the future. But what has not changed is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And let us remain steadfast and resolved as a church that whomever is standing in this position will, as a matter of first importance to this congregation, preach the gospel the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make us to be faithful. And we pray for those who are here today if any, have yet to put their faith and their trust in a crucified and risen Savior, that they would do so now. We thank you for the glorious and wonderful work of Christ. And we pray that you would make the gospel our ambition in life to encourage one, one another with it to love to hear it preached, and to share with others this wonderful and glorious news. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.